All right, everyone. Good evening. Tonight, um, this week is Parshas Nosei, and um, we, we've learned already all the discourses in this book and the Holy Sefer of the Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi called Lakuti Torah on Parshas Nosei. It's quite a lot. There's one tiny little mimer that's left that we didn't learn. And that is the last mimer on page 58. It's a short little explanation on a previous discord. It's called Ma'at Bior Alzois Chanukah Samizbeach. It's a little explanation on Zois Chanukah Samizbeach on the previous mimer. Uh, but it's very short and concise and and obviously we have to discuss the initial mimer that we learned a few years ago and this would be an explanation on that and kabbalistic and very just cryptic um being that this week was shvuas and so forth i didn't get a chance to really do the due diligence on the mimer itself on this short little discourse i was going to teach this discourse tonight um, I also had to travel today um, because of some, you know, uh, something unexpected, and um, so I didn't get the the chance to really, you know, thoroughly learn this and understand it well. But then when I was looking, but I really want to teach this. But then when I was looking in the back, in the notes, in the back of the book, it references that there is a long. This mimer is a short mimer, a short explanation on the previous mimer, again, on the previous discourse. The very, in the Sefer, Eir HaTayra from the Tzemach Tzedek, say the grandson of Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, third Chabad Rebbe, there is a long explanation, which was said as an explanation on the previous mimer. The mimer, Zeis Chanukah Samazbech, the Tzemach Tzedek said over the mimer of his grandfather. I think it's mamish the same mimer. And then he gave an explanation on it. Now, when you learn the Tzemach Tzedek's explanation on the mimer, and then you learn the short mimer, I think it'll... I didn't finish it. I didn't finish. I was just reading this now. I didn't get to finish the whole, the whole Tzemach Tzedek's beer, but I'm sure once we do the Tzemach Tzedek's beer, everything we're going to learn in the short mimer over here is going to make much more sense. However, I'm exhausted, and I'm not going to be able to teach this whole thing tonight. We usually have a long class. Tonight's going to be shorter. Um, but what I want to do is like this. I want to learn the Tzemach. It's fascinating mimer. It's very beautiful. It's just very, it flows very nicely and it gives just, just beautiful ideas and very, very inspiring and very uh, enlightening. And what I want to do is learn the Tzemach Tzedek's mimer and then from there go back to the Alter Rebbe's mimer. But I want to break it into two parts. My intention, this is my intention, I'm not promising, this is my intention, that I'm going to do tonight for about an hour, I'm just going to get started, and then I want tomorrow, it's a long Friday afternoon, so uh, at about one o'clock tomorrow, to learn for another, to complete it, it could probably take another two, three hours, and that would be tomorrow afternoon. Erev Shabbos, that would be a good thing to spend a nice long Friday, for those who are in Eretz Yisrael, wherever you are, you'll get this other part of Matzah Shabbos. 
But uh, this is Gvaldiga information, Gvaldiga teachings, which don't necessarily, it, and is applicable all year round, doesn't necessarily have to connect Dafka to the parsha. That being said, um, let's learn. I want to dedicate this class to my dear friend, Reb Avram Plotkin, whose yard site is going to be next week, um, who loved the Hasidus that we learned over here. He was an incredible tzaddik of a yid, a man who inspired me every day whenever I saw him. He passed away last year tragically from, from COVID. And he's the one member in my shul that passed away from COVID. And um, it's right at the beginning of it. And uh, a couple of days after Shavuos, he passed away on Yud Dalit. Right now, again, I'm so tired also that I don't remember his father's name right now. Oh, there you go. Wait. Avram ben Rabbi Yitzchak. Avram Arn. Oh, now I got it. Avram Arn ben Rabbi Yitzchak. If, I'm, if I, I'm almost sure. So tonight's class dedicated to Avram Arn ben Rabbi Yitzchak. Uh, may this be to a big schus for his neshama. He always listens to the Hasidis. Let me say that he was so attached to the classes that we learned over here at Mayan that when he was on a ventilator for about six, seven weeks, they gave him, the family gave him um, his iPad with where he had, or whatever, with all of his shiurim, all of his classes. And uh, it was playing the entire time. I don't you know how... Uh, times he was conscious and times he wasn't, but it was always playing. The point is that the nurses in the hospital knew, knew the rabbi that was speaking. You know, as I get excited sometimes and I yell and I shout. <laughs> so they knew all that. That's what the family told me. Um, so this should be a schus, and hopefully he's listening from Gan Eden as well and uh, sending down his blessings and his assistance to us down here. Okay, the mimer, let me show you where the mimer from the Tzemach Tzedek is that I'm learning as a continuation to the Alter Rebbe's mimer. And Sefer Eura Torah Bamidbar Chelek Aleph. And it's printed in page 118 in the back. In the old, in the old uh, Eura Torah, it was in Chelek Dalet. Now they redid the Eura Torah and they made them by the order of the parshas. It's in Chelek Aleph, the portion of that has Bereshit's that has, I'm sorry, Bamidbar, Shavuos, and Nosai. In the end of it, it has page 118. That's where this mimer is. Now, I am not going, there is a piece over here at the beginning, Shairish Advarim Anal. And Tzemach Tzedek says something which is it's just complicated. And I think the main part of the mimer that we need for the explanation of what the Alter Rebbe is saying over here is more from. Sifches. Um, so I'm going to start actually from Sifches. It's, it's, it's interesting that it calls it Sifches. I'm just going to skip Sif Zion because it's, the Tzemach Tzedek said it like as one mimer. First he gave over his grandfather's mimer, and then he added Shorish Advarim, the explanation. The first piece he's explaining one little detail that is mentioned in the big mimer, but the Alter Rebbe doesn't talk about it in the Bior, in his little, I'm just giving a reason why I'm, I'm skipping it. Because I'm learning this mimer of the Tzemach Tzedek primarily because I want explanation for the Alter Rebbe's mime, for the Alter Rebbe's short little discourse. Uh, 
over here to help with the cryptic discourse. This little piece over here is an explanation of something that's stated in the mimer, but not related, or at least I don't see it yet, related to the short little discourse over here. So that's why we're going to start from Sifches. So it's not going to be the first paragraph, it's going to be the second paragraph. Okay. Let's first go over just a Nakuda, short little, as much as literally as short and as concise. I think the mimer should be on my website. We learned it a couple of years ago. I don't remember when, but we learned it. Um, the mimer, Zois Chanukah Samazbeach. So if you look on my website, I, I, fa I failed to check on Parshas Naso, and you'll look back on the Thursday night classes, if you want to learn the, the original discourse at, at length, you can listen to the class that's uploaded, should be uploaded, not on YouTube, but on the website, mayon, M-A-A-Y-O-N.com. And okay, so what does the Alter Rebbe say? Okay, so let me tell you what this is talking about. This is talking about the inauguration of the the inauguration of the of the base of the temple of the uh, Mishkan of the tabernacle in the desert. So it says that the twelve tribes, all all the heads of the tribes, the princes of the tribes, all brought certain gifts, and they ordered. And, they, and there was a certain order how they were told they should they should line up to offer their gifts, and they spent twelve days. First 12 days of the month of Nisan, in which every day there was a unique gift brought by one by the by the head, by the leader of one of the tribes. And that was a very lavish gift in terms of a gift for God. When we say lavish, we mean that there were things that were brought that are usually not acceptable as sacrifices. These were unique sacrifices that were never repeated again. We know that. It's interesting. It says in Sefer Yecheskel, it describes that also in the third base of Migdash, a whole bunch of sacrifices that are going to take place. And Rambam says that all those sacrifices that I mentioned over there are also for the inauguration of the third temple, and they're not something that is on a continuous basis. It's called a Hayra It's a, it's a one-time instruction. In other words, even though the mitzvahs, the commandments, are meant to be unchanged, and therefore all the laws are unchangeable, and you can't just be innovative and creative and create your own sacrifices, meaning your own gifts. Things have to be according to what the Torah says. If you're bringing this category of a sacrifice or that category of a sacrifice and so on and so forth, each one had to be exactly. But sometimes there's something called a rasha, which is a, 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 an exemption given for a certain time, special instructions, in which for this particular time, something is done, but it's not the rule, it's the exception of the rule. Um, so um, they brought certain things that usually not given. For instance, one of the main things that was very different and generally unacceptable, but then it was, was that they offered ketores. Ketores is incense. Um, they offered the spices, the fragrance. Um, they burned incense on the, on the altar. Now, you'll say, well, that was daily. They used to offer this daily. Yeah, daily it was offered, first of all, not from the, as a gift. A, a private individual can never give a gift of um, ketores to the Beis English to the temple. You couldn't do that. It was only coming from the community. That's number one. Number two, it was offered on the inner altar. There was a certain measure every single day, a certain measure of spice, a spice blend that was offered and burnt. Um, it was never offered on the outer altar. And the outer altar, the only time that they ever offered ketores on the outer altar was during these 12 days. And that's because of the unique gift. Plus, usually when they brought um, karbonis, 
Um, see, their, their, their karbonos consisted of animals and also meal offerings. Karba mincha. Mincha means, uh, yeah, it's a meal offering made out of a flour. Usually when you bring flour, you bring it in a, in a uh, not an impressive basket for, for, for an offering. You would bring, uh, you know, a, a leaf kind of a basket, a basket made out of various different straw or something. Um, and that's the way they would bring the, the meal offering. Over here, they used, they used silver, silver bowls and silver goblets and gold spoons. All this was a gift. It was a one-time type of a gift that was for the inauguration of the, of the, of the Beis HaMikdash, of the temple. Okay, that's, the, that, that's what it discusses in, in the end of the, this week's parsha. Parsha's Nasa was the longest parsha in the Torah, and that's because you got these 12. What makes it very long is you have these 12 tribes, each one giving a lavish gift. The Torah repeats each one individually, the same exact gift that they gave with all the details, even though each one gave exactly the same, with all the details 12 times. So it's a whole chunk of... So it's the end of Parsha's Nasa. Now... When the Torah relates, now the Alter Rebbe is addressing, now let me explain something. We're going to be learning over here the meaning of the gift, but we're going to be learning, and not just that gift, but the general idea of the sacrifices, which is therefore it's a very enlightening discourse because it's, sacrifices is something that people don't have any understanding in and people a lot of times are, object to it because they don't really get what's going on. So we're going to have a deeper understanding of the sacrifices that were gone because when the third temple comes back, we're going to go back to offering sacrifices. And um, some people are abhorred by it. And that's obviously um, a sensitivity which we can understand. But on the other hand, it also is related to a lack of understanding of the, of, of, of the spiritual dynamics of the sacrifices. When you understand the spiritual dynamics of it, then automatically the, the sense of of discomfort uh, is lessened and lessened and lessened until a point where it, one doesn't feel that anymore. Quite on the contrary, there's an appreciation for it. But obviously, I understand those that have a hard time. But therefore, it's good to learn about this because it's good to open up our minds to levels, to ideas, to concepts that are way out there, much bigger than what we usually are used to thinking in. But what we need to realize is that these services in the temple exist both in the physical temple, but they also exist spiritually in our daily service. We all have a temple inside of us. And when we pray and we do mitzvahs, and pr primarily in prayer, we're entering into our inner sanctuary, into our inner temple, and we're doing all the services. And there is the service of animal offerings. There's also the service of the ketores, which is this incense, which we burn for God which is the different levels of connection to Hashem. The sacrifices, that's what's going to be discussed in this discourse. We've learned about it in the past as well in earlier discourses, but here it's explained in a very unique and special way. Now, the Alter Rebbe, just briefly, is primarily addressing a, what seems to be an, a, in a, um, a inconsistency in the wording that the Torah uses regarding this inaugurational uh, sacrifice. Um, at, uh, at, I'm, not, I'm, sure, I'm not sure if it's the beginning at the end, but 
it mentions two times almost the same, the same words. It says, This is the inauguration of the altar. Okay, the main thing that they inaugurated, even though they inaugurated the entire Mishkan, the entire temple, but it was mainly the inauguration, was the inauguration of the altar. You know, Aaron inaugurated the, 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 um, the menorah, the candelabra, but the, 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 the 12 uh, leaders, they inaugurated the Mizbeach, the altar. So um, the, the Pasuk says, this is the inauguration of the Mizbeach, on the day that it was anointed. And there's another verse that says, This is the Chanukah of the Mizbeach, the inauguration of the Mizbeach, after it was anointed. So the Alter Rebbe in this discourse is dealing with a discrepancy, seemingly. When was the inauguration of the the, the altar. Is it considered to be on the day of the anointing, the, the anointing of the altar, or is it done after the anointing? Now, it's not a big question, because after and on the day could be on the same day, but after. In other words, in the morning, Moshe went around anointing. What was the anointing? You had to take special oil, fragrant oil, and put it on all, you know, they did it for seven days, actually. Seven days, they anointed everything. And then on the eighth day, which is the day of the beginning of the Mishkan, they anointed everything again. I think so. So that's called, the day of the anointing of the Mishkan. Everything was assembled. Yeah, Moshe reassembled it. So everything was anointed. And this was the permanent anointment. And anointed Aaron, the high priest, and also all the, all the vessels all the utensils in the Mishkan had to be anointed with the special anointing oil. That's called Himashachos. Now, in continuation to that, they began the inauguration festivities of the actual sacrifices. So it happened on the day they anointed it. It also happened after they anointed it, because first they anointed it, because before that I wasn't holy at all, and it couldn't serve as an altar. Once they anointed it, now it's holy. Now they can bring sacrifices. So it's both the day of and after. The question the Alter Rebbe is asking is more of a deeper question, not so much the you know, technical element. Both of them work together, but why in one verse are you emphasizing that there is a certain equality between the anointing and the sacrifices of, the, of these uh, leaders? They're inaugurating the, the Mizbeach on the day of, which means it's it's simultaneously, it's coming together. That means spiritually it relates, one relates to the other. The other verse is emphasizing the element that the offerings, that their offerings, their inauguration comes after the anointment. And the idea that it's after the anointing of it implies that these are two separate things. First you have to anoint and then you can do the inauguration. So based on this nuanced um, um, what uh, difference that you see in two verses, the Alter Rebbe discovers and digs deeper and discovers a very, very, very deep and rich concept regarding the inauguration of the Mishkan. And what is that? Let me just give the idea. He says that in the inauguration of the temple of the Mishkan, it consisted of two, pro the gift consisted of 
two primary elements. One was animal sacrifices, and the other one was the ketores, the, the incense, and the, and the um, what do we call it? Oh, and these bowls, the gold and the silver and the, the silver goblets and the gold spoon and all of this, kind of the meal offerings that were brought, brought in these fancy go goblets. So he says that, th that these are two distinct parts of the gift. And when I, and distinct in terms of what, we, what these leaders of the tribes offered, but primarily in what it stimulated, how it impacted. It impacted different elements of the cosmos. I mean, this was enormous power. The inauguration of the Mishkan had, you know, you were inaugurating a temple for God, and this was the, the prototype, this was the seed, the kernel for the eventual temple in Jerusalem, which is going to be a seed, which is only a seed for the ultimate temple, the third temple, that's going to be the place of connection of God to the world for all of eternity. So we can understand that what they achieved in this offering was huge. So, and every little detail has cosmic significance. And what they, what they achieved by doing what they did was enormous, but there's a difference. The sacrifices had its intended target. In other words, they were trying to reach through their, they were trying, they reached through their sacrifices, through their gift, they were stimulating something in the divine on one level and through the offering of the katores and those fancy goblets with the, with, the, with the meal offering, which is again, that's unique and different element. See, animal sacrifices were something that were done usually. This, on the outer altar, altar, this special gift that was added to it, that was the unusual, is meant to reach and, and, and stimulate another level in the cosmos, much higher. And because the gift, says the Alter Rebbe, because the gift of the, the Nesim, of the princes, involves two components, one stimulating reaching one level and the other one stimulating and reaching a much higher level, so therefore it's divided in two. So, in relation to that, is why the verse describes their gift in two, in two ways. In one description, it's that their gift is together with and a continuation of the anointment. And in the other verse, it says it comes after the anointment, implying that it is not the same as the anointment. So the Alter Rebbe explains the higher element of their sacrifice, the anointment of the temple is very, very holy, very high. It's reaching, it's touching on the deepest, deepest levels of flow, of godly flow, which sacrifices usually don't reach so high. That's the idea. We're touching upon levels that were very, very deep. As we're soon going to see. And sacrifices, although they stimulate the divine, but not on such a high level. This was the anointing. Moshe himself was commanded by God to make a special kind of an oil, which this oil was very potent oil because it was made by a recipe delivered directly but from God in exactly how it needs to be made and how it was representing an incredible godliness. 
So the ordinary sacrifices can't be compared to this. And that's why the, the part of their gifts that involved ordinary sacrifices, even though it was unique in the fact that they gave these particular numbers of them, yeah, but still, it was still regular sacrifices, that is not equivalent to the, to the anointment, to the anointing. And therefore, on that, the Pasuk says, their gift came after the, it was anointed. Not in continuation to the anointment, but after, maybe in continuation, but after meaning not within the same level, within the same category. However, there are certain components in their gifts, which is what? The offering of the, the offering of the Ketores and their, the silver goblets, the gold plat, the, the silver platter and the silver goblet and the gold um, spoon, which actually had the Ketores in it and the offering of the Ketores, that is reaching the same levels. It's hitting at the same places so high beyond regular sacrifices on a much deeper level. And that's in continuation to the anointing oil. And that's why that's considered on the same day, meaning on the same level. That's the gist of his answer. But that's how he's just explaining the verse. But he gives us, in the discourse, again, that we learned a few years ago, he gives us a deep understanding of what sacrifice accomplish, what ketores accomplishes, what the, 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 the spice offering accomplishes, and what it means in our daily service, these things, because, you know, we have that higher temp, the temple that was then, how we in, in ourselves, even though we don't have the temple today, can, 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 can spiritually, can't do this physically, but spiritually can emulate this service and stimulate these very, very high lights and these very high um, energy flows. And then in the Mimer, he also goes on to explain what is the anointing process. Included in the Mimer, including in the discourse, he explains the idea of, in general, why did we make such a to-do with the inauguration? Why were these... What's the deeper meaning that at the inauguration they offered all these spectacular gifts? Again, it's in, 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 the, in, the, in the literal sense, they were nice, they were expensive, but you wouldn't say so spectacular. But when, you, when we understand the spiritual energies that were stimulated as a result of these gifts, where they were matching up up there, then we realize that these are spectacular gifts way above what the, what the altar usually gets. The altar is usually a place where great godly flow, you know, there was a lion that would come down, the fire, the image of a lion that would come down, which was representing the divine, and was, was divine, a divine fire that came down on the altar, so that the altar experienced godly, a godly descent. However, what the Nisim, the heads of the tribe, brought to the altar on the days of the of the inauguration is way beyond that, higher and higher and beyond higher. So the altar Rebbe says, why? I mean, if it's, it's, if it's meant to the altar, it's, it should do it every day. If it's not meant to be such high godly infusion to the altar, if it's not meant for the Mizbeach, why do we bring it at this special occasion? So the altar Rebbe explains, to inaugurate something, to jumpstart something, you need to give it a lot of chizuk. 
Everybody knows these are the words of the Alter Rebbe. Kol haschalos kashes. All beginnings are difficult. It's hard to you know. It's hard to start an exercise program. It's start. It's hard to to commit to a shear, to start learning Torah constantly. It's hard to get on a diet. You know, once you've been off it and to and to get back on. Everything is the beginning. Once you get into the routine of something, you know, you're it's it's already part of the of your you know it becomes part of your nature. But to, to change, to make a change is difficult. To impact something, to start. Being that over here we have to take a, the, the altar and get it connected and that it should operate as a, as a place where God and man connect, where the infinite and the finite bond. So once the altar is in operation, we don't need such energy to cause the fusion. But to start it, you know, like a rocket ship for the first... Uh, for the first, uh, I don't know how high, to, you know, until it gets out of the atmosphere, just the, that first initial thrust, you used most of the fuel is just for the energy to get past, get past the, the gravity pull. And, and after that, it like uses very little um, um, fuel because it's already soaring in a place that's weightless. So the same over here is to get something off the ground ain't easy. So they needed to have the most potent powers to accomplish it. And he gives an interesting example. He gives like, it's called Chanukah Samizbech. It's called inauguration of the Mizbech. But in Hebrew, it's called Chanukah. Chanukah means also from the word education. It comes from the word Chinuch. And Chinuch, Chinuch is like a little child. So a child also has going to school. Where you're going to be Machanachim. You're going to educate him. So we know that there is a Jewish custom, beautiful custom, that a child um, is, is, has a special parade made for them, um, an inauguration ceremony, when they go to school for the first time. The, the parents bring the child to the school, to the teacher, and the teacher sits with the child, and they read the letters of the Aleph Beis, and they put special honey on the letters and the kid licks it. It's like a whole procedure. And they throw, there's a custom that you throw the kid a lot of candies and sweets and stuff like that. And the kid is like, you know, they, first of all, they wrap him in a, in a talus that, 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 when he, that you shouldn't see anything on the street just for that moment. It's such a holy moment. It's like bringing the, 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 first, the first fruits to the holy temple. It's such a holy moment. You don't want the kid to see anything that's not kosher. So the kid is wrapped up literally in a talus. As Jews, we don't usually don't do that. We don't wrap ourselves that we don't see anything. We're part of this world. We got, even though we're holy, but <laughs> you got to live in this life. But in the, the inauguration of a child, he's all wrapped up, can't see anything. Bring him there. Inside, they open, and, only, and they show him the olive bays, and there's a whole procedure of how you do it. You say verses, and you take pieces of, uh, and they make a cake with letters on it, and he licks the icing. A whole story. Different, there's different minhugs how it's done. Any case, um, but also is that they give him a lot of candy and stuff like that. And the kid thinks that every day he's going to go to school, he's going to get such a, such a party. <laughs> but it's not that way. You know, he gets his lunchbox and he has a snack. And if the mom is very healthy, health conscious, she sends him uh, carrot snacks and some other healthy snacks. And gone are the candies. The first day he goes, he has a treat. Why? Because it's hard. You know, he's got, he's got, he's got a, you know, a kid is a free-spirited being. He loves running around. To kid, sit a kid down in a classroom, to sit on a chair, it's not, and for, for, for a few hours learning, it's, it's opposite of the energy of the free spirit of a little child. 
He's used to running around playing with his toys all day. That shift is very difficult on a child. So you need a lot of, um, you need a lot of assistance. So that's what he uses as an example. Same as on the altar for it to start serving as something so powerful it needed an extra boost. Okay. Now, going back to what are the two, and this is what, this is, what is necessary for today's class. What are the two, um, what is the difference between sacrifices, which as we said, stimulate and register and impact one level, and ketores, which stimulates and, in general, the, the, the service of the, of the, of the ketores, of the spice offering, um, which was usually done in a different altar. Again, this is the only time that they did both in the outer altar. Usually there was a special altar for this in the inside of the temple, which we're going to discuss in the Mimer we're going to learn. What's the difference between the inside of the temple and the outside of the temple, and so on and so forth. What is the main difference? So the main difference is, just very, very short, very brief, is that through the service of sacrifices, we stimulate a connection between God and the world, a, 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 but we draw down a sacrifice. What's a sacrifice? A sacrifice is a stimulator. We're, we're taking something from below and we're using this, this to stimulate some kind of a cosmic energy, a flow of divinity to come down. Why would you kill an animal to do that? The question will be very different after the classes, we get to the end of the class, which I think, as I mentioned, I don't know how far we're going to get today, but continuation to tomorrow, um, in which we'll understand the dynamics of a sacrifice. But what is it really doing is that it's reaching what's called the orpnimi, the internal lights. That means divinity, the levels of God that have already been adjusted to be, to be, um, to be, uh, to be somewhat relatable to the creation and relatable to the world. There's a certain energy flow, the, the godly life flow, that is adjusted and limited. And um, and formed itself already to the creation. Let's put it in, 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 in a way that will make it clear what I'm saying. At certain times it says that God, we just read it on Shavuos. On Shavuos on the holiday we had, we read on the second day, we had a special reading and we read about the, um, the chariot that, that uh, Yecheskel Hanavi, Ezekiel saw, saw a chariot. He saw the, all the angels. He saw, the, he saw a vision of the angels. But above the angels, he saw the angels carrying a throne. And on the throne, he saw the image of man. And the image of man was representing God. A God obviously doesn't have any image, but God chooses to relate to us through the image of man, which means he lowers himself down into the, into the structure, the psychological structure of a human being. But there's verses that refer to in the Navi where it says God is not a man. Kiloi Adamu, God is not a man. So is he man or is he not a man? And it's explained. There's two levels, two general levels in, a, in, the, in, in divine projection. One level where God lowers himself down to have a relationship with the world. And in order to do that, he himself assumes a certain world, worldly personality. And obviously for God to do that, there is a great diminishment of his infinity. 
an incredible diminishment of his infinity. And then there is another projection of the divine where God's light is unadulterated. Is un unlimited, un unreduced, unfiltered. It's still infinite. And that's called when God is above being a man. The sacrifices stimulate and draw the divine man downward. That means the levels of the divine that is called orpnimi, internal light. Lights that have already set, entered into vessels, into containers. But they're still godly containers and therefore they're above and beyond the, 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 the finite creation. So, and naturally they're removed from the world in the sense that at least they're not engaging in an open manner with the world. So to bring the divine man down, God as a human, downward, his energy flow into the world, to connect to the world, but which level of the divine? That which is already to a certain degree limited, but, but, but even in its limited form, it's still infinite beyond us, relative to us it's infinite. So to draw that down, that's through sacrifices. That when we offer our sacrifices, we create a fire below and we stimulate a godly fire. A heavenly fire comes to match our fire. And that's where there's the initial bonding between creation and the creator. But then through this special offering of Ketoris, which was done in a much deeper place, in the inside of the temple, the Beis Amigdal, usually, it's stimulated and that reaches much higher. It, it has an impact. It, it, it sends ripples. It, 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 uh, it, it awakens the levels of the divine that are above the image of man, the infinite, what's called ermakif, the encompassing lights, and draws even from that place. And a much deeper revelation of Hashem to the world at a much higher level. Both of them are necessary. One is called eating, like animals are called eating, sacrifice, like a human eats. So God, when God is already in the range of human, obviously this doesn't mean this has to be understood anthropomorphically speaking a gazillion times. It's not human as we understand human, but it's the idea that there is already some kind of a some kind of a definition on this level. Um, a human needs to eat. So God says, give me my food. The sacrifices are called the food of God. The incense is like a smell, a, a fragrance, which is, reaches a person on a deeper level than, than food. I'm just going to give a proof to that. Food keeps you alive. What does it mean it keeps you alive? It keeps body and soul together. But food can only keep you alive when you're already living, which means body and soul are already connected. It strengthens the connection of body and soul. It fortifies it. It, 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 it keeps body and soul continuously engaged, the soul engaged in the body through eating. But when the soul escapes the body, 
when the soul withdraws out of the body. It doesn't help to eat. You can't even eat that. A person can't eat. The, the, the person is in a state of faint. That's what we call a person fainting. Or a person is in a coma or something. So here there is a disconnect. What does that mean? On a spiritual level, is the soul is, is more detached from the... But didn't go away completely. If the soul went away completely, then the person would be dead, God forbid. But now that the soul is still there, but kind of hovering, it's not manifesting, it's not revealing itself in the body. That's this disconnect. So one of the remedies that are done when a person is in that state is they bring certain strong s smells. When a person faints, you give them something very strong to smell, the smell brings them back. So you see that scent goes up very high. It reaches, it reaches the human soul when the human soul is in a state of transcendence from the body. What does it mean the soul went away? It went back up into a state of transcendence. It's not settling in the containers and the vessels. In order to draw the soul back into the containers and in the vessels, you don't use food, you use a scent, the fragrance, the katoris. So just like it is in, in the small world of the small human being, same applies in, in the super being. When the soul of God kind of withdraws above the creation or the level of the divine, God exists on both levels at the same time. The level of the divine that's above and beyond the image of man. It's like the soul that's above the containers and above the vessels where God is called, I'm not a man, I'm above it all, purely infinite. To stimulate energy from that place, it's not through sacrifices, which is considered food, but through the katoras. That's the idea. What is the anointing oil? So now the, I'm just going to say this last point and then we're going to learn inside a little. So now that we understand what is the sacrifices accomplished, again, I'm, this is very brief. I, we're going we're to understand all this much better once we learn inside. What sacrifices are. We understand what the animal sacrifices are. Then we understand what the Ketoris, the spice offering, the one that gave off the fragrance, what did that accomplish? That reaches the, the encompassing energy. This reaches the indwelling energy, the Orpanimi and the Ormakif. Um, what is Shem and Hamishka? What is anointing oil? Anointing oil is a combination of both. Because on the one end, it's oil. Oil is a type of a food. You mix, oil is edible. Not to eat on its own, but we mix oil and all foods. Any cooked, everything we cook is always with oil. Put some, put some oil. Um, so oil is considered a food. And food is considered related to the realm of eating, which is the realm of eating represents a level already of lights that are in containers. But the oil that was used to anoint the tabernacle was not just oil. It was spiced oil. It had a fragrance. The fragrance of it represents the concept of makif. But since it's also oil and also fragrance, it's kind of a combination. It's where the transcendence, transcendental lights, and the imminent lights are kind of connected to each other. They're together because it's one entity that has both. So it's a fusion of both. And that's what's unique about the Shem and HaMishcha and what its effect had when they anointed the Mishkan. Now we'll also understand why we said before that only the Ketores is considered on the day that they 
anointed it. It means the part of their sacrifice that involves the katoras, the spice offering, that's a continuation to the anointing. Because only the spices relates to the transcendental light, like the fragrance that's in the oil. Sacrifices don't reach that level at all. Since it doesn't reach that level, you can't say that the offering of the sacrifices was done on the day of the anointing. The day of the anointing is much higher than where the sacrifices are, are reaching. So therefore, the sacrifices serve their function. It's a, a pivotal function. It's a necessary function. Just like a person say, you know, because scent and fragrance is higher than eating, I don't have to eat because I just want to stick to the higher. Then, God forbid, a person will die. You need to eat. So we need to engage in the sacrifices. In the, right, to keep, but it's after the anointing, it's not on the level of the anointing. Because it doesn't reach the Ormak of sacrifices, it only reaches the Orpanim. Okay. Once we know that, now let's take a look inside. Um, he's going to explain the concept now of sacrifices and Ketores in our service. That means we know that in today's days, the sages say we don't have a temple. So we don't offer sacrifices. Prayer is in the place of sacrifices. So let's see. This conversion, again, he's obviously continuing to the piece that I'm skipping, so it's okay. It's just a one line. When the animal soul just like sacrifices is sacrificing an animal, we do an internal, we sacrifice, we offer up to God our own animal inside of us. This is the idea of sacrifices. Which is called my bread. And what happens when you eat? Like we said earlier. It strengthens the bond between the soul and the body. That means that the soul, which is an energy, beyond containers, when you eat, it keeps, and it, 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 it influences the soul should reside more in the body. That means energy should go more into containers. So just like it is in the micro, it's also in the macro. Sacrifices are called God's bread because they strengthen the bond between the infinite light that it should flow into the vessels. It should keep body and soul together. This that we said sacrifices don't reach the infinite in its transcendence. That means when it's detached, when it's connected, it does reach. It's just like a person, when the soul, when you're conscious and you're awake, you need, since there is already a bond between your soul and your body, by eating it enhances that bond and it strengthens that bond. That means it draws more of the soul into the body. So the same also spiritually, more of the orange self, more of the infinite is flowing into the, the, the containers above, the, 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 the vessels and so forth, and eventually into the creation. And we draw the orange self, the infinite one, into the body of the king. This is the idea of panemius, the internal. But the incense, that's already an encompassing energy. It's a smell, it's a fragrance. And it's not food. To understand this, we need to understand, 
fascinating thing the sages tell us. Where did Mo, the whole concept of offering spice, uh, spices and ketores, even though it's a mitzvah in the Torah, but the way this mitzvah came about is it actually came from the dark side. I mean, obviously God commanded Moshe, but that's after Moshe encountered the concept of spices, of the incense offering, and who did he hear it from? He heard it from the Satan. Satan gave it to him. When? By the giving of the Torah, it says Moshe went up to heaven. And initially, all the angels wanted to kill him. <laughs> they were so angry. Especially when they, when they heard that he, what he want, what he's doing there. They, 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 he wants to take the Torah down to earth. They were very upset. But after they saw how you know, special Moshe is in God's eyes, and Moshe defeated them in the debate, and so on and so forth, and Moshe came out victorious, they kind of had a whole new earned... They had a, they had a uh, new level of respect for him. And they all gave him gifts. I wouldn't mean a gift of an angel. They taught him certain wisdom, certain things that they know that humans don't know. And amongst the gifts that everybody gave him, the angel of death, the angel of death, the other side, forced the source of darkness and evil and whatever, also gave Moshe a, a gift. And what did he give him? He gave him the secret of the, the incense. What does that mean? He told him that this is the antidote to me. But when we know when the angel of death has power, when there's, God forbid, a, a plague or something, Ketores is an antidote to it. It's when you, that's why we find that by the story of Korach, later in a few weeks from now, we're going to read the Torah portion. When the, when the tribe of Levi had a rebellion against Moshe, some of them, and they, uh, whatever, they contested the high priest of Aaron, and Moshe said to them, you know what, everybody line up, we'll do Ketores. And then Aaron won. And, uh, anyways, what happened was in the end, a lot of Jews, a plague broke out because the Jews kept on complaining. They died already. They were swallowed by the earth and others died when they offered the ins. The Ketores, many, 250 people died doing it. It was a catastrophe. And Jews complained. Even after they saw, they said, Moshe, you're responsible. You killed these people. You let them do something so dangerous or whatever. God got very upset and a plague broke out. And many Jews were dying. So um, 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 Aaron, Moshe told Aaron, run between the people with the Ketores. And Aaron did that, holding a pan of Ketores. And suddenly the people stopped dying. And Medrash says, where did Moshe know this, that this is, this is what freezes the angel of death in his tracks. He can't kill anybody. He can't take a, a life when there is Ketores. Uh, I don't know if it will work for us to do that trick. It has to be. Uh, you, can, you can smoke incense all you want all day long. It's not going to help. We're talking about the special secret of it done in the temple and so on and so forth, or in a spiritual level, as we're soon going to see. Um, so that's what it says. Where did Moshe learn it? The angel of death himself gave him the antidote that stops him. So that's what it says. Came from the other side. We need to understand. Why did Moshe need to receive this gift from the from the klipa from the from the samachmem? Now there's other commandments that are also considered a gift, and they come from God. For instance, Shabbos is called a gift. Moshe, we don't get it from the dark side. 
God says, I have a great gift. I want to share it with you. So this is a strange thing that Moshe is getting the gift from the other side. So in order to understand this, first we need to understand what is the concept of karbonos, or and what's the idea of ketores. Um, and then he brings over here, I guess in that mimer is where he explains this, this difference. By carbonus, it says, that by a carbon, it was an ishe, it was a, it was a, it's, a, it's a fire offering. It's a, pre, a pleasant fragrance to God. So in Zohar, Parshas Noach, it says, ishe, on the word ishe, which means a fire offering, the Zohar says, Tanana ve'isha mechubarim. Fire and smoke connected. Kechadam. It's a statement to the Zohar. It to be a cryptic statement. That aren't about karbonos, because Noah offered sacrifices. The secret of the sacrifices is that it's smoke and fire together. That means the smoke is a very important part of the sacrifice. Not just the fire burning up, but also the smoke. What is the significance of the smoke? When we appreciate the concept of smoke and the idea of a, of a smoke going up, what is this, just a barbecue? God needs a barbecue. What does it mean? A the idea is, let's understand better the secret of smoke. What's the, and when you understand the concept of smoke, we'll understand the whole idea behind this, a, a, a sacrifice. Who, the, the cause of smoke, Wood and everything in the world is made up of four elements. The four elements are, the four primary elements are Esh, Ruach, Mayim, and Afar. Fire, wind, water, and earth. Everything like Maimonides discusses, everything is a combination. I mean, on a very, very core essential, not, not in a way where you can take a a microscope and see in everything you look at, a little dirt and a little water and a little fire. It's blended together in a way, but the essential, uh, you know, there, there, there are some um, rabbis who explain the, this in modern science as well, what, how this applies to the way we understand matter today. Um, and it works, I just don't, I'm not a physicist and not uh, familiar with all of this, so I'm not talking, I'm talking, I'm giving you what it says in the Hasidic teachings, which actually is consistent with, and not just the Hasidic teaching, in, in, in ancient philosophy and so on and so forth. So everything is made up of fire, wind, water, and earth. And it's derived from the four letters of God's name, which make up the inner spiritual and godly content of everything. The Iker, and so now, smoke, what smoke? When you burn something, you're causing a destruction of the molecular or whatever makeup of something. You're causing some kind of a disintegration. So the burning out of it, what's happening is, as it's being destroyed, is the fire, I'm sorry, the fire is now overpowering this, uh, this entity. And it's causing the water, the air, and even the earth to depart, to go out. It's disrupting, I guess, the whole, uh, when you burn something, you're disrupting the, the, it, the, uh, the unit. 
And when the water and, and, and wind element that's in everything, and even dirt, as we're going to see in a moment, exits, it forms smoke. Now, most of the dirt element of it remains below, doesn't go up in the smoke. That's the ash that's left over. Fire, obviously, is, becomes included in the fire that's burning. So the escape that's really happening is mainly the wind and the moisture. And that's what smoke is. It's a mixture of moisture and, and wind together. But it's got a little bit of the, of the offer of the, of, the, of the earth of it is also, some of it is also ascending in the smoke. The main is from the water, the the, the wind and the earth. And through the fire that has now taken hold of the wood, let's see, a branch is burning, a log. The moisture of the water goes out. It gets burnt and it gets expires in the smoke. And even the earth. Some of it disintegrates and gets a little burnt. And also the wind goes up and becomes absorbed in the smoke. Comes out of the smoke that goes out from any burning entity. Is included from these three. Mayim, water, ruach, wind, and offer, and dirt. Sheyoitzim that go out al Now in Tanya he says the same idea, but over there he says that the smoke is made up of fire, wind, earth. I'm sorry, fire, wind, water, and the earth remains below. Over here he says a little differently. He's not counting the fire. Fire, of course, it's burning, so the fire is fire. The smoke is the wind and the water and a little bit of earth. I mean, some, as we said earlier, some some aspects of earth remain below, and that's the that's the ash that's left over. But mostly the smoke is primarily produced by the water element. Like you see, that the more, when does something smoke? If you want to get a clean fire and you don't want a smoky fire, you have to get dry wood. If wood isn't dry, a little bit wet, it's going to be a very smoky fire. The more the the, the branch or the, or, the, or, the, or the thing is drier, it doesn't make so much smoke. So the more moisture there is in a branch, is going to create more smoke. And the reason is, because the main idea of the smoke is, it's, it's the who, it's the, <laughs> when fire goes to war with water, what, what, are, what are the two enemies? What are the two opposites? Fire and water are, are two opposing forces. So when the fire does battle with the water and it overpowers the water and it defeats the water, that's when it, it, it produces the smoke. So what's the smoke? And the smoke is kind of like the water escaping, you know, running away for its life. But, but, but the water has now been impacted by the fire. The fire overpowered and created from the water the smoke. Because fire and water are, are enemies. Now what's the smoke? Smoke is this that it burns and it, it destroys 
something that's opposite its nature of the fire. Which is the moisture that there is in the wood. Either it's in the wood or is it or it's in the uh, in the wick. This lachluches, this moisture is at is at odds with the fire. And the fire overpowers it. That the water should convert. To, to, to the nature of the fire. So the fire is trying to overpower the water and change the water. It is the smoke. So the idea of smoke is something that has been converted by an opposite element. That's why. The more opposition there is to the fire, because the wetter, the moisture, the more the more smoke there will be. Because there's more to overcome. The fire is overcoming and beating and defeating more of its enemy, more of its opposite. And when it finally defeats it, it, it overpowers, it creates the smoke. So the, water, the smoke is, the, is water that has been overpowered by fire. That's in this, that's in this entity. So when we understand this dynamic also spiritually, what the Zohar is saying, that the main, one of the main elements of a carbon that made it satisfying, God didn't want to have a clean fire on the temple. He wanted a very smoky fire. You know, over there the smoke was important in the altar in the temple. Now, now let me tell you something. They needed to take only dry wood. wood they could, but because they were burning... And they were burning the animals on the altar. It created a smoke. And there was moisture there. What's the idea of the smoke? See, the fire represents the divine. God is compared to a fire. God, your God, is a consuming fire. Now, we, naturally, and the world, and everything that's in it, we claim existence. We claim that we are. We feel ourselves very strongly. We have egos. We have a sense of identity. The idea of a sacrifice is to recognize the truth that He is and there's none but Him. That God is true existence. That He is the reality of everything. Because without his input and his investment and his um, energy flow that flows from him into us, we would not exist. Not only would we be alive, we wouldn't exist. Every cell of our being is created from absolute nothingness into existence by a divine, by God's. Imp- but we don't feel that way. And quite on the contrary, we have inflated egos and a, 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 a stubbornness of self. The idea of sacrifices is the human surrendering themselves to God's truth. And not just surrendering with an acknowledgement, but also to coming to a point where you recognize God so much that you dissolve from your own egotistical self into the divine. The ego dis- disintegrates to the point that there's no more a, a, a I am and that which is in conflict with God, but you become completely included in God's truth. What does that mean is, is that you're now 
your identity becomes, you become very passionate and very desire only for one thing, to be, to be, to be included in truth, in his existence, in what's true and what's real. So that's, that's the work that we all have to do in our lives. We start off very much disconnected and submerged in our own selves and our own wants and our own passions and our own, you know. And that's because we feel ourselves as something so magnificently important because we don't even feel that we're created by anybody. We think we're a God. And the idea of serving God is to, to bring in divine consciousness to a point that a person becomes so conscious of God that they lose in other words, every desire that we once had that is in conflict with godliness, and it doesn't have to be in only sinful things, even just the fact that we want things that are, that are, you know, pleasurable, that give us, but they have nothing to do with your purpose and your mission in your life, that's coming from a misinterpretation of reality. It's because we're, we're, we're stuck in our own klipa. We, we, don't, we, feel, we feel ourselves, not Hashem. So the idea of a sacrifice is to bring ourselves to a point that even that which our animal side, see, our neshama, our soul, is always mission-oriented. It knows the truth. It wants to serve God. But we also have an animal consciousness that's dense and thick. and So that needs to be raised up, needs to be elevated. And that's the concept of a sacrifice. And that's the concept of smoke. Because the smoke comes from the fact that we have initially are resistant to it. The water is resisting the fire. And why the water? We find within ourselves, it says that the water that we have, the spiritual, psychological element of water in the soul that's not kosher, water is what creates a sense of pleasure. Because all pleasurable things, food that gives us so much pleasure, comes from water. Right? There's no, everything grows on water. So water is associated with delight and pleasure. One of the main klipa in a person, or the main element that disconnects us from God, is the fact that we are constantly seeking pleasure. Where are we looking for pleasure? Not, not in serving God, we're looking for pleasure in whatever material experience that will give us the pleasure. So one of the greatest distractions in a, in a person's connection to Hashem is the fact that we're too busy looking to pleasure ourselves, whether it's through food, whether it's through... Um, physical um, um, uh, sexual relationships and things like that whether it's all kinds of other things which a person is seeking pleasure all day long and this pleasure is a contradiction to God's truth so when we recognize Hashem then we, it's nothing wrong to have pleasure but we should find pleasure in the divine which actually is an infinitely greater pleasure for those who manage to get into that range of pleasure. But that's when it's, or else it's a broken pleasure. But it's a water. So in order to fix the human condition, the primary element that needs to be fixed is the water element, because that's where there is a lot of ego. I want, I'm seeking, I want to satisfy myself. I'm looking for happiness for myself. Everything is about me. And, and, and therefore, I'm into my pleasure. So when you offer the sacrifice, it was burning out this pleasure. What does that mean spiritually? When a person prays and meditates and comes to a very strong recognition that God is and there's none but Him, then your ego shrinks. The fact that I need becomes far less important than what God needs. And it doesn't mean that I've now eradicated myself. It doesn't mean I've destroyed myself. It doesn't mean that I'm sad and depressed. 
quite the country. I'm just identifying with a much higher truth. It's not that you don't exist. You exist, but your existence is now included and as you're identifying with a much greater that who are you? You're a representative of God and you're here to fulfill something. And that becomes an unbelievable, thrilling, satisfying, pleasurable experience. But that's a true pleasure. That's the pleasure in the right place. So the work over here is to eradicate the unholy pleasure, to bring ourselves to the holy pleasure. But part of that procedure is the idea of smoking, because you have to burn out the unholy water. So he says, Because the four elements, fire, wind, water, and earth, and megadalit oilamois correspond to the four worlds, atzilus, priya, yitzir, and asiya, the four worlds. Atzilus, the world of emanation, Priya, the world of creation, Yetzirah, the world of formation, Asiyah, the world of action, which is completion, the physical world. Four dimensions of existence. Pchenas Eishu, Pchenas Atzilus. Remember we said before, fire is representing the godly. So that's the highest. That's why fire always rises upward. Fire represents the world of Atzilus. Veruach, Mayim, and Afar, wind, water, and earth, represent the three lower worlds. Wind is the world of Bria, the world of creation, the world of souls. Water is the world of Yetzirah, the world of angels. Earth represents the material, physical world. Now we would think that the main place we need to make a tikkun is in the earth, because that's where they have the most resistance is in the physical world. He says, no. The real tikkun needs to be made in the level that corresponds to the angels, which is the level called water, because the whole motivation for self-fulfillment and all of that comes already from the second level of, the, of creation. The world of Yetzirah is where all the negativity of, 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 of um, being a pleasure seeker outside of God already begins in the world of Yetzirah. Why? Because it says that the tree of knowledge um, of good and bad is primarily in the world of Yetzirah. So when the person senses, in the world of Asiya, it's just the, it's just the completion. Let me put it this way. The world of Asiya in our, in our psychology, psychology is the action of unholiness. It's the behavior of the unholy. But what motivates behavior? What motivates the behavior is a deeper realm in the human being. It's, the, it's where your emotions are. What's your drive? How do you feel? How do you? And that's the Yetzirah element. So when we have to do a tikkun and really fix the human, not to fix the person only for the day, only for the moment, but to fix the person in a more, in a more inner, in a more lasting way. You have to change your excitement. What's my excitement about? If I'm excited about God or I'm excited about myself? You see, if I'm excited about myself, not about God. So even if I fear God and so on and so forth, and I will not do a sin, and I won't follow my temptation. Tomorrow I'm back to square one. I'm still with the same temptation. I'm still vulnerable. I'm still in the same place. I'm not really changing because I'm just not doing the bad, but I want to do the bad. I want to do everything that just is self-fulfillment and not serve. So obviously if you're trying to do a fixing, you've got to fix the water in the person, not just the earth in the person. You've got to fix the water. And the fixing the water is the burning of the fire. So through prayer, you introduce the fire, introduce godliness. And then when you recognize the fire, the water gets... Now the water is the antithesis. The water is saying, no, I want my own pleasure. It is known. It is known that the 288 sparks, which we need to elevate, 
which is everything in this world that is unholy has a spark of holiness that means a holy potential, including our own egos and our own bodies and our own... Naflu benoiga. So the three, 288 initial sparks, which later turned into a gazillion sparks, they fell into the klipa, into the unholy. Dibiya of the three lower worlds, Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya. And all of this needs to be fixed. And all of this needs to be elevated into godliness, into atzilus. All these sparks, we elevate sparks to doing mitzvahs, to do all the good that we do. It's the idea of smoke. It's from the three lower worlds being elevated by the fire, by godliness. It's higher godly consciousness that's, that, that that fire comes down and causes smoke. The smoke is the world rising towards God. All three worlds rising. Um, Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya. Wind, water, and earth. All of it rising. And again, the water is the main thing that creates the smoke. That's where there is the most resistance. Ruach, that gets included in the fire. In the realm where the divine is the only reality, which is Atzilus. And when they are exiting the state of Noga, it's like smoke. That gets converted from a substance of physical wood. You see, the wood initially is dense. It's a piece of wood, it's a log. It's a dense log. Then when you burn it, its density goes away. It becomes soft little ash left over. And what happened to the whole log? It became smoke. That means it was converted from something physical and dense to something more metaphysical, something a little more spiritual. Which is the lights of the... T- and what makes the transition? The fire burns it. So spiritually, what does that mean? When we can illuminate the lights of godliness, which is called fire of God, down or below, whether it's coming through our soul, through meditation, through Torah, whatever it is, that's all the fire of godliness, and it does a tikkun in this world. It takes things in this world that are full of ego and full of self, elevates them to a state of surrender and more refined state of existence, more rec- more acknowledging and recognizing of the divine. Which is the lights of Atzilus that fixes it. Now, why so much do we why do we emphasize so much in smoke the water? Because the water is in the world of Yetzira, which is the world of formation. That's where the real the tree of knowledge of good and bad, which as we know, the tree of knowledge is responsible for all the mess up in the human condition, which is really all about this ego of self. It begins already in the world of Yetzirah, which is corresponding to the element of water. Hatzarech bitter, and that's where you have to do, that's where the 288 sparks are primarily, that's where we need to elevate. We find it in a human being and is in one's animal soul as well, just like we find it in the cosmos. The middle world of Yetzirah is where the tree of knowledge of good and bad really starts. In the animal soul, in a person, the real troublemaker is the element of water that's in the person when it's unholy that's what creates all kinds of physical sensations which keep us trapped in a world of self instead of serving God we're busy hunting for our next pleasure but as a result of a person's worship a person doing working through meditation meditative prayer primarily it gets converted and, and, and purified 
al yedei eskafia through subduing. First, you have to break it. That's when you want, you have a temptation, you don't give in to it, so you break it. And then you can even convert it. Because when you can change your entire sense of pleasure, then instead of finding pleasure in what is an anti-God, or even if it's not anti-God, but it's just not holy, to starting to find pleasure in godly things. So first, iskafia, through breaking it. And then vishapcha, and then transformation. Shal rish ava of the flames of fire of love, when a person experiences a burning desire for the divine, that fire consumes and burns out all the, all the, all the, all the lusts and desires for material pleasures. Whatever it is, because they're in, they're in, uh, they oppose this love to God. Because as the Chavis as the says, you can't love, in the book of the duty of the hearts, you can't love God and have a love for the world at the same time. When I say a love for the world, doesn't mean you don't love the world. You can love the world from a godly perspective because God loves the world. And you love the world, yeah. Lubavitcher Rebbe loved the world more than any other human being. But he loved his, the Rebbe loves it from a godly perspective. Loves it because God wants it and to love it. We're saying you can't have love for God and love for the material pleasures of the world that you want an experience of ecstasy of the divine and at the same time you want to enjoy the physical thing. It doesn't work because the more one entraps their heart in the material physical pleasures, the less sensitive you become to the divine. The more you experience the divine pleasure, then you become less attached to physical. And again, I have to keep on emphasizing this. It's not you walk around deprived and dark. That's because that's only when you're not really experiencing the spiritual. When one experiences and develops a rich sensation of the spiritual, you're not in any way losing. I'll give a little just a, a, an example for someone to say, some people get very scared when you speak about you know, giving up of your pleasure. It's not giving up of the pleasure, it's, it's maturing in the pleasure. That's what it is. Someone who only has a sense of coarse food, right? As, you know, for, for all their life, all they can eat, um, eat is, hot, is, is, is fast food, you know? hot dogs and burgers. That's their entire sense of taste. And if the person develops, a person who develops a, a, a more refined sense of taste, they eat gourmet foods, fine wines and fine delicate things that you have to like train your tongue to be able to really see the, the things. So you're going to say this person is deprived. From then on, since when they started eating all these fine gourmet dishes and they stopped eating uh, you know, junk food, you know, potato chips and hot dogs, You'll say, "Whoa, this is this is like a sacrifice. It's it's such a such a not a sacrifice. It's just educating and a and a, and a development. So just like it is in that kind of a, within the material pleasures itself. Can you imagine if you introduce godly pleasure to a person, the pleasures of the physical become meaningless. And what does the physical world become all about? It becomes a a the physical becomes a support for 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 spiritual things, and the physical becomes." The, the, the vehicle, all that it is in your life is the vehicle to serve and to channel the divine and to, and to do a mitzvah and so on and so forth. It's a whole different story, right? So how do you create the fire? So during prayer, during prayer, you introduce the divine into your consciousness and, 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 and therefore it corresponds to sacrifice and then you burn out and it has to be done daily because every day we wake up in the morning feeling ourselves 
what I want, what I'm interested in, what's going to make me happy. And every day we have to counter that ego with and start expanding our spiritual consciousness through prayer. That's why the sages say, uh, uh, we know that's one of the laws of the Torah, it's prohibited to eat before you pray. We wonder why. We're not allowed to eat before we pray. Chassidim have a minog, yes, to eat something before we pray. Because or else we're, if, we're gonna, if, we're gonna, if we don't eat anything, we're going to be thinking the whole time during prayer that I'm just waiting to finish. I can't wait to end prayer so that I can eat. So in order that we shouldn't have that problem, we eat something. But you're not supposed to seat, eat, eat, and definitely not a lavish, lavish breakfast before you pray. Why? Because you can't eat. You're gonna, the, the whole, you don't know how to eat before you pray. Because you're going to become completely lost in the food. And that's not going to, you're not doing anything. You're not, you're not doing yourself a favor. You're not doing the world a favor. You're not doing God a favor. You're not fulfilling anything. Eating is very important. Because eating is a way in which you can elevate the world into godliness. But for that, you can't have a passion for the, for the food. On the external level, you have to have a passion for the spark of holiness that's in the food. For that, you have to educate yourself and identify with the divine, with the godly. And then your desire for the food will be a complete different desire. It's not going to be for the, the, what it's doing for your taste buds. It's going to be, you're going to be more focused on the energy and on the, God, and, the ener- and the godly of it and the godly satisfaction of it is going to become so intense and so powerful that you forget, you forget about the physical sensation of the food. Totally forget about it. It's like meeting like this awesome person, like this incredible person that you've been waiting all your life to meet, and you manage to have lunch with this individual. Do you taste even the, the food? And it's good food. You went out to a restaurant with this individual, but you're sitting with, but you're so lost in the experience of this that you don't even realize that the food, because at this moment it's not it's not on your mind. Other time the food with this particular food, you know, would be so you know, so important to you. Right now, it's not. So imagine when we recognize the service to the divine that we're doing. God is getting so much out of. God himself is getting so much out of when you're eating that salad. God is getting incredible. He's being released from bondage. And you're, you're bringing the prince back to the king. You're causing a reunion of a spark that was disconnected. So when you really feel that and really know that, you forget to taste the taste of the food. That's the point of it. And maybe if you taste it, you taste it, but it's not even, it's not registering in your, even in your mind because you're so excited. So we're not talking, see, this is the idea. We talk about sacrifice over here. We're not talking about sacrifice. This is, oh, oh, I can't, I'm not, I can now but enjoy my food. And that's not what we're talking about at all. If that's where, you are, where we're at, okay, that's where we're at. That's, that's, that's silly. That's, we're talking about expansive consciousness, which prayer is supposed to bring. And you become so turned on to God, so excited, literally you're excited. And then the all everything that's a distraction of God becomes dis- literally eradicated. And that's the idea of the smoke. The smoke, the physical pleasures that you had till now, evaporate in the divine. So before Davening and Allah eat, Kaidim Shadai and Loi Bir before a person has burnt out all the excessive klipa that's still in, inside a person's heart has to be burnt out. And you can't elevate the food. So what's the point of eating? 
Inyan. And now we'll understand the concept of, once we understand the idea of a sacrifice, which is all done through prayer, we'll understand what, which is prayer. Prayer is supposed to be a smoking barbecue. That's what it is. Because you create a fire within yourself and your smoke is all the stuff that were inside of a person till now, all the liquid, all the moisture that would have been had you not prayed. It would have been a love and a pursuit of the physical sensations and pleasures that the world has to offer. But now that you replace your ego with a powerful sense of God and you create this godly fire, and you're now going to reorganize your entire day. Not only won't you do things that are not God, you won't even feel that your sense of pleasure is going to be in, 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 a higher, in a higher reality, in a higher truth. So now you're smoking. And the more ego you have before you pray, which means the more of resistance you have to the divine, the more you have a, a person has, one has an inflated sense of self, and therefore a, 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 a strong desire just to indulge. Had you not prayed, you would have been a very moist tree, a very moist branch, a very moist log, which means filled with self, filled with pursuit of... And now that you pray, the more it's smoking, and that's pleasurable to God, because the more surrender there is. And that's why the Pasuk says in Shira Shirim, God says, who is coming from the desert? In the Song of Songs. Mizos, who is this? Zos is referring to the Shekhinah, which is also referring to every single, every single soul. So God is saying, well, who is this one? Referring to the, his, us returning to God. Ola min amidbar, rising from the desert. God says, who is the one coming from the desert? Kesimrois ashon, like the pillars of smoke. God is excited when we pray. And the more we smoke in prayer, the more exciting it is. Um, Noga, the klipa, is called the desert. It's called the wilderness. It's the opposite of civilization. It's the opposite of... It's just a, it's a barren place. It's the klipa. Vishmama, and it's a wasteland. Ulamata, and below, what does this mean? Upchenas devarim gashmin represents the entire physical realm, that is without godly intention. And being elevated from this is the idea of smoking for God. That's why we also find that Sinai. What is when, when the Pasuk describes what happened at Sinai? It was a smoking experience. It was godly revelation through a fire and it caused the chimney to burn. It caused the, why? Because the giving of the Torah was exactly that. The world is now surrendering its ego towards God. To serve God, not itself. And now as well, through the flames of fire that one ignites their soul in prayer. And that's why it says, but in continuation to the verse that it says, who is coming up from the desert smoking like a, like a, like a pillar of smoke? And then it says, Mikuteres was also um, burning more, more is the incense. So the Alter Rebbe, the, the Semach Tzedek says that this is referring to the next level. After you finish creating and burning out your, your water, within the person, which is the idea of sacrifices, burning, creating the smoke. 
Um, after that is done, there's another service that needs to be done, an even higher service. In which you're burning this, this incense. This is Ketores. Now Ketores is also, when you burn incense, you also create a smoke. But the, the Tzemach Tzedek says over here, the smoke that's created in incense is a very subtle smoke. To the point that by Ketores we don't call it Ashan, which is smoke, it's called Anon, it's called a cloud. It's more of a subtle puff. It's a cleaner cloud. It's not a dense black cloud. It's called Kitur is called a a a very a smoke, but a, a very light smoke. My Ashanag Mugmar like the smoke that rises from incense that's burning, Vakteris and Kitoris. It's not like burning uh, an animal. And because it is so refined, the Torah doesn't even call it smoke. It's called a cloud. Like it says by the Kohen on Yom Kippur, that the cloud of the Torah, of the incense, should cover the whole room. The reason why it's not so dense is because it's not struggling to overcome something that's opposing it. Again, the, the smoke is created the more resistance to this. And when something that's the opposite is converting, it's creating a lot of smoke. So the smoke represents the resistance and the overcoming of the resistance. Now, after we finish dealing with the more external part of our being that is very resistant to, the, to godliness and to purpose and to mission, we enter into a deeper space in our consciousness in which we don't have resistance. There's a, more of a, a much purer heart. It's like sometimes our outer self kind of dissolves and we discover an inner human being, a pristine, and that's really our deeper soul. Well, there, there isn't resistance. But even there, we have to create some kind of a smoke, which means there is a light resistance. And in that light resistance, and he's going to explain and elaborate later what's the difference between the two. The thing that the fire is holding on to is not like a log, it's just a little, a little spice. A little bit. It still has to have some smoke element. To, fight, to burn and to eradicate everybody according to his level. And according to the quality of his soul, in other words, that's what he's going to explain later, that even when you attain a level of already, you feel like you're already past your sacrifice, you're identifying with God, and your whole mission is godliness, now you have to smoke again. Because he's going to explain that in the levels of identification to the divine, there is purer and purer and purer and purer. So where the sacrifice ends, the incense starts. It's the next service. It's to take already a pure service and elevate it to a much purer place, as we're going to see. I'm too tired to continue. So we're going to stop over here. And we're going to start, and tomorrow we're going to understand this procedure. Be'ezus Hashem. Well, the of Zel HaSeichel.